Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. One thing I hope we can see as we are moving on through the Gospel of Matthew is I think you can see a pattern that there's more and more opposition growing against Jesus and the Gospel. The more He preaches, the more He heals, the more places He goes, the more opposition is encountered, not just by Him, but the disciples everywhere, everywhere they go. You know, uh, some years ago, in an, another place of ministry, Darlene was uh, directing this, it was a Christmas play of sorts, and uh, it, was a, it had a really good message to it, and she had, I guess, it was probably, it was all adults, I think it was maybe a dozen people that were involved playing different parts and, and telling the story. And it went really well. And at the end of it, the, uh, all the folks that were cast members in the church, they got together and got her this little, it was like, a, it wasn't a plaque, it was like a little picture frame and a little saying on it. And they gave it to her as a gift after it was all over. And here's what it said. I'm not bossy. I just know what you ought to be doing. So think about that for a minute. I'm not bossy. I just know what you need to be doing. And so that, that works on many levels, right? Because it was intended by the cast as a joke because, you know, she's telling them what parts to play and what, how to do certain things. And, uh, and it was funny. But I thought about that this week, more particularly even yesterday as I was thinking about today's text. What, what was the, maybe the main job, not the job, but the, the, the main characteristic of a Pharisee? I know what you need to be doing. Don't worry about what I'm doing. I know what you need to be doing. Right? They were real good at that. So, it's ironic then today that we find ourselves in chapter 12 and the Pharisees are in focus as to uh, opposition toward Jesus. So let me read Matthew 12, 1 through 8, and then only two points today. The second one has several different parts, but um, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll talk about, a little bit about what that means. So Matthew 12, beginning in verse 1, and here's what the Bible says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, 
Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Father, I I pray today that you will speak to us, that we will understand clearly what your Word says, and then we would obey what your Word tells us to do, the principles that that you show us in your Word today. And God, I know we're here today, we've come from different circumstances, we've all got different things going on in our lives, but we all need Jesus at every moment. And sometimes we may not fully realize or understand just how much we need Jesus. And so, Lord, today I pray that you'd help us, help us to understand that a little bit better, and that as we see our need, we would come to you, where all our needs are met. So help us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this this passage, every passage for the last few weeks seems to have been progressively more difficult, more challenging to me, and and maybe that's just um, a struggle that I'm having. I don't I don't know exactly why it is. I will say, I will tell you this. Um, it seems like every day I'm becoming more and more aware of my my faults, my shortcomings, uh, my need for Jesus. It's like every circumstance I encounter, it seems like I, I see another part of myself that it's like, well, that's not good. Uh, I, I need God to work on that. that that's not I'm, not, I'm not doing like I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't know if anybody else ever feels like that. If any of you ever uh, do some self-reflection and maybe it causes you, you, maybe your eyes get opened a little bit more to who you are and who God is and how much you need Him. But I'm here to tell you on a per- very personal level, um, I know more and more how badly I need Jesus. And, and, and I, I pray that uh, I'm not the only one that, that has those moments that feels like that because the, I, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced more and more every day that one of the most harmful things to our lives is to live each day and think that we got it all under control. I think that's a terrible thing. And if you're if you're just kind of coasting through life and you think you got everything handled and you know God can take a break, uh, I I just want you to know you are fooling yourself and you're playing a very dangerous game because no one, whether they realize it or not, no one lacks a need. For Jesus, every single person that has ever lived 
that is living now, every single person needs Jesus desperately. And, and I, I don't know how I can communicate that much more clearly, but um, we are a very needy people. Nobody has their act together. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and the Pharisees are so good at demonstrating that because of all people in this culture at this time period, they really thought they had their act together. And they were not uh, afraid to tell everybody around them how much they had their act together. They want everybody to see how cool they were and how religious and spiritual they were and how they were closer to God than everybody else. Well, I'm here to tell you, your preacher is not any closer to God than anybody else in this room. In fact, I have maybe a greater need than anybody else. And, and I don't know how that makes you feel. I hope you, maybe you'll pray for me. I would appreciate that. But this text highlights some things for us about the danger of being a Pharisee. So, point number one today, verses one and two, don't be a Pharisee. I, I, I struggled with this. What am I going to say? What's the first point? There it is. Don't be a Pharisee. That's not who you want to be. That's not who God wants you to be. If you look at these first two verses, how this um, story continues to unfold, Jesus has just told all those who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, um, struggling, come to me and I'll give you rest. And, and a large part of that is because, why do you think they were burdened? Because the Pharisees were really good at heaping up burdens on people and, and telling them, you need to do this. Oh, I know this is what uh, God's law says, but you need to do that plus a bunch of other things that we think are good ideas. That, that's a Pharisee. So Jesus and His disciples are walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath. Now, it's real interesting. You kind of have to put two and two together because it says Jesus went through the grain fields and then it says His disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain. So you, you have to kind of put it together. They're obviously together. They're walking through this field. It is a Sabbath day, which, you know, lots of regulations there. But they're hungry. And they're not out there working. They don't have their equipment out there. They're not reaping the harvest or anything. They're just picking some individual heads of grain and eating them. They're hungry. Okay? So that's what they were doing. And I don't know exactly how a Pharisee or a group of Pharisees just happened to be there watching them, but that's what was happening. They were in a position where they could see what was going on because the Bible says in verse 2, when the Pharisees saw, they said to him... Now... So just put all this together in your mind. I want you to have a good context. Jesus is walking through the field. His Pharisees are picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees don't talk to His disciples. Yeah, the disciples are picking the heads of grain. So the Pharisees don't confront the disciples. Look at verse 2. When the Pharisees saw, they said to Him. So they go to Jesus. they got a problem with what His disciples are doing, but they go to Jesus. And they tell him, as the leader, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. So, let's, let's just get this straight. If you're hungry, that's just too bad. Heaven forbid you pick up a couple of little heads of grain and, and eat them because you're hungry. Because you're in violation. 
Now, we know Pharisees were known to be legalistic. They knew the law very well, but they did not keep the law very well, which is ironic since they were so all up in an uproar about everybody else keeping the law, but they weren't so worried about themselves. They were quick to tell everybody else what they should and should not be doing. Anybody know anybody like that? And, and I don't know about you, but, I mean, when, when, if it's right there in front of me, okay, maybe I'll observe something and have an opinion. But I don't have time to be worried about what everybody else is doing because I have enough problems of my own. I ha- I've got a lot to worry about between me and God. I mean, let me just be honest. I don't have time to walk around and see if all of you are following God like you ought to be. I, I pray you are. I hope you are. But I know how much I'm struggling. So I've got to deal with my own stuff first, or else I'm not going to be in any kind of position to help anybody else. But the Pharisees were not at all, they were just the opposite. They're not at all really worried about their own lawfulness. They're worried about yours. Okay? Like they, that was their personal self-proclaimed job. Let me make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. Forget about me. I uh, this <laughs> this really uh, caused me to to chuckle to myself um, about let's see this would have been I say so 18, about 15 years ago it's about 15 years ago uh, we're living in this little neighborhood in Lexington and um, as neighborhoods sometimes do they have a homeowners association anybody familiar with those? They're straight from the devil most of the time. Okay? It's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I had a neighbor around the corner from me who worked for a company who did not provide him with a vehicle but allowed him to take um, a magnet about so big, a couple of them, and put them on the doors of his pickup truck just to identify when he's out on the job, that's who he's with, right? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so he's got just a normal extended cab, Ford F-150, and he slapped a couple magnets on it. Okay, the, the physical makeup of that truck did not change, right? Just got magnets on it, okay? Still the same size truck, everything's the same. This particular gentleman who was the... Uh, the czar of the homeowners association, he would ride around in his vehicle just looking. Like he didn't have anything, I think he was retired, but he hadn't anything better to do than ride through the neighborhood looking at people's stuff to see if he could find something they were doing wrong. Like, man, you need to get a hobby or something because this is terrible. It's a terrible way to live. He pulls up to my neighbor's house and because in the uh, restrictive covenants for the subdivision, which most every one of them has those things, there's a little line in there that says you can't park a commercial truck in your driveway. Now, do you remember what I said about the truck he was driving and the magnets he put on it? It was just a standard pickup truck. It wasn't a commercial truck. But this gentleman said, hey, you see those magnets on there? That makes it a commercial truck. You can't park it in your driveway. So, you see what's going on here? Somebody 
have lost their mind. Because this is, the truck didn't change. You take the magnets off, all of a sudden it's perfectly fine. You put a magnet on the side, all of a sudden, it, no, that's in violation. That, folks, is a Pharisee. That is exactly what these folks made a habit of doing. Let me walk around, forget about my own personal spirituality or my devotion to God. Let me run around and make it my business to see what you're doing so I can tell you you're wrong. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. God does not smile on that behavior. So how does Jesus respond to this situation? Which brings us to um, the application of point two. Obey God's Word like Jesus. Obey God's Word like Jesus. How does Jesus respond to this situation? Well, he gives some examples. The first thing Jesus says in verse 3, Have you not read? Now, this is interesting, right? Because look at verse 3 and then look at verse 5. And then look at verse 7. These are our three examples. Have you not read? Verse 3. Verse 5. Have you not read in the law? Verse 7. If you'd known what this means. You see what's happening? What are the Pharisees not doing? What are the Pharisees supposed to be doing? You know what a Pharisee is, like by definition? It's a spiritual leader. A teacher even. Someone who is well schooled in the Scriptures. The Word of God. And what is the first thing Jesus says to these leaders? You haven't read your book? Have you not read? Have you not read? Do you not know what this means? He's pointing out the ignorance of people who are supposed to be smart enough to teach and help and lead, but they're too busy worrying about legalistic behavior and pointing out people's problems instead of doing their job. Obey God's Word like Jesus. The first example is the example of David. So you see there in the text, verses 3 and 4, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? He entered the house of God. They ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those with him, but the priests alone. So here's what's going on. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 21. If you remember the, uh, the dynamic between... Uh, Saul, who was king at the time, and David, and then Saul's son, Jonathan. You remember that? So, so here's, here's the brief summary. Uh, David and Jonathan were best friends. Okay? And Jonathan is the son of Saul the king. Saul hates David because David is the, the newly crowned king, hadn't taken his position yet, but so Saul is totally jealous. It was Saul's fault. He disobeyed God. So, so God took that away from him, was going to give it to David, but so Saul's mad, right? He's jealous. So he hates David, but Jonathan and David are best friends. So at this point in the story, Jonathan and David come up with a plan, because David's on the run, and this is the story in 1 Samuel 20, and leading into 21, when Jonathan says, hey, I'm going to shoot some arrows out in the field, and if they go a certain distance, if I tell my servant, hey, go out there and get them, or no, they're closer to you, depending on what I tell him, David's out there hiding, he says, that way you'll know whether or not my father is still after you. 
And so it was kind of a covert signal that Jonathan and David worked out. So that's what was going on. Well, Jonathan did that, 1 Samuel 20. But going into 21, the, the code showed that Saul was still mad, still trying to kill David. So David's on the run with his buddies. So he goes to this temple, and Ahimelech's there, the priest, and David lies to him because they're hungry. And so there's consecrated bread on the altar that gets changed out every so often so the priest can eat and, and offer the sacrifices. Well, he lies to the priest and gets the, that consecrated bread, and they eat it because they're hungry. And so, if that's okay, even though, you know, if, if God looks past that, and yet these Pharisees are going to give these disciples of Jesus trouble because of picking a few heads of grain when David and his people ate consecrated bread from the temple. On the scale of legalism, far worse. Far worse. But everything was fine. So the Pharisees don't have a problem with this, what, what David did in 1 Samuel 21, but all of a sudden they got a problem with Jesus and his boys doing something far less. You see the, the hypocrisy? Because when you're a Pharisee, apparently you can just, the rules don't apply to you. So you can just do whatever you want and you can have your double standards and, and, that, and that's fine. Which is exactly what today's Pharisees do. They do the same type of thing with the same attitude. So that's the example, the first example that Jesus brings up. So it seems like Jesus is using this incident not just to question the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath, but he's questioning their approach to the whole law. Like you just, you're not seeing this right. You're not doing this right. Michael Green, uh, in his commentary, said that like many legalists after them, the Pharisees were so anxious to study what Scripture said that they couldn't hear what Scripture meant. The Sabbath was meant to be a day for worship and recreation, not for bondage to law. And they didn't understand that. Because they... You ever heard this phrase? Um, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law? What's really meant? Are we going to be um, technical... And this, well, this is what exactly what the letters say, so this is what we have to do. You know, not understanding the circumstances or the situation. So that's the first example. David, have you not read this, fellas? The second one, verse 5, the example of the priests. Now this is interesting because everybody in this culture knows how the temple and the priests what their job is, how that works. Everybody knows how that works. And so, have you not read in the law, the priest's job is to serve in the temple. And serving in the temple includes making sacrifices for the people. And sometimes those sacrifices are made on a Sabbath day. Well, now what? They're working on a Sabbath day. Isn't that a violation, Mr. Pharisee? Huh? Why is that any better than what these disciples of Jesus were doing? It's not. But see, the service of the priest, the service they were doing, is considered more important than the Sabbath law. So, David Turner writes, that the Pharisees are inconsistent because they don't object to this priestly Sabbath breaking of the law, but they object to Jesus. 
who is greater than the temple and greater than its sacrificial ministry. So it's all about being selective. It's kind of like, let me see if I can put this into today's terms. Let's say you've got, uh, let's say you've got a state trooper. And why did everybody get all sad all of a sudden? I visibly saw several people, just as soon as I said state trooper, they're like, oh. It's okay. They don't hate you, as far as you know. So, what if you have a state trooper who's got this little speed trap set up, and he's trying to catch people speeding? And he pulls somebody over and finds out it's his, his wife's brother, so he decides to use discretion... Um, just slow down. Here's a warning. Okay? And then, and then I roll by doing less speed than that other person was doing, and I get pulled over, and I get a ticket. Is that fair? Not, in no universe is that fair. But, does it happen? All the time. It's selective enforcement of the law. The Pharisees were really good at deciding, well, we'll we'll apply it here, but we're not going to apply it here because we're Pharisees. We can do whatever we want. Who's going to question us, right? We're in charge. The rules don't apply to us. So, as you can see, there's a difference in obeying God's Word like a Pharisee and obeying God's Word like Jesus. Right? So that's the second example. The third example is the example from the prophets. You have an example of David, you have an example of the priest, and you have an example from the prophets. Jesus declares that something greater than the temple is here. You know what He's talking about? talking about himself and the kingdom of God. He represents the kingdom of God. See, this demonstrates the complete ignorance of these religious spiritual leaders who can't even recognize that the the representative of the kingdom of God is standing in front of them, trying to help them, and they just won't hear it. Because he first said in verse 3, Have you not read? He said in verse 5, Have you not read in the law? He says in verse 7, you don't even know what this means. It's not that you haven't read it. Now it's you just don't even know what it's talking about. You're supposed to be teaching people the Word of God. It's like this. It's as if I were to stand up here and to read some Scripture, and then after I read it, I would just look up at all of you and say, good luck, I have no clue what he's talking about. You know? Is that what you want to hear? Is, is that how you have confidence in, in God's Word when the person who is called and, and prepared and ordained to teach God's Word just stands up and says, I have no clue what he's talking about. Hope you can find it out. Good luck. Do you not know what this means? If you had known what this means, Jesus said in verse 7. And he quotes from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Hosea is the first of our twelve minor prophets. And the actual, the full verse, he quotes part of it in, in verse 7. But the full verse from Hosea 6, verse 6, says, 
For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. And understand that word loyalty can be translated loyalty, compassion, mercy, rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Does that sound familiar to anyone at all? Anywhere else in the, New, in the Old Testament? I'm going to turn to it so I don't misquote it. You recall in Samuel? I'm trying to find the exact verse so I don't say it wrong. But basically, God says to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed the Word of God is better than the fat of rams. I don't... Do you think God needs our stuff? It, it, uh, is it really our stuff? No. See, see God, God uses things like this so He can see clearly into our hearts. Let me give you all this stuff and let me see what you do with it. Let me see how you value these things relative how you, to how you value me and my word. That's what God says. So it's a stewardship issue. It's a trust issue. Let me see how much I can trust you. And so, in Hosea, again, the prophet writes, inspired by God, I delight in loyalty, compassion, mercy, rather than sacrifice in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I don't need your offerings. I've asked you to do the offerings because I want to see if you're devoted to me enough to where you will obey my word and you'll be devoted to me. What's your relationship like? Where's your heart? And so when he says this, he quotes, Jesus does, quotes Hosea, but he says it to the Pharisees in these terms, if you had known what this meant, and then he quotes it and he says, If you'd known this, look what the rest of the verse says, verse 7. You wouldn't have condemned the innocent. Who's the innocent? His disciples. Right? But these Pharisees, these spiritual leaders, in name only, they're so worried about trying to nitpick and find something wrong with somebody, they don't even know what God's Word means. They've presumably they've read it, but they haven't understood it, they haven't obeyed it, and so therefore they don't apply it correctly. Have you ever, you ever seen somebody take God's Word severely out of context and apply it to something? For example, there was a group, I won't mention their name, just because I don't want to give them any kind of recognition, but there was a group that called themselves a church somewhere out in the... Uh, in the south, I want to say going towards somewhere out in uh, Louisiana or, or just north of there, somewhere in that area. But they were known for going and uh, protesting at soldiers' funerals in the past ten years or so. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to call their name, but that's, that's what they did. They called themselves a church. They called themselves a Baptist church. Matter of fact. But nobody knew what they were for. They just knew what they were against. What, what do you stand for? Well, I don't know, but I'm against this, and I'm against this, and I hate these people. And really? That sounds Christian to me. Not even a little bit. 
Are we known as God's people? Are we known by mercy, compassion, love? Don't I recall Jesus Himself in the Gospel of John saying that this is how the world will know you're My disciples? By your love for one another. Right? So God, through Christ, the second person of the Trinity, says, I want mercy. I want compassion. I want loyalty. I don't need your sacrifice. I need you to know me. I need you to know God. That's what's most important. So this shows the biblical ignorance of the Pharisees. They, they might have read the Word, but they hadn't understand it. They haven't understood it. They haven't obeyed it. And so it's this practice of compassion. Leon Morris said the practice of compassion should distinguish the people of God rather than this legalistic observance of outward regulations, no matter how sacred. Compassion is much more important and much more characteristic of those who really are the servants of God. And so Jesus reveals that the Pharisees don't understand the meaning of Scripture, and He declares that He Himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. They're, they're fighting about some Sabbath rule, and He says, this is, this is my day. You're going to tell me how we should behave? On, this is my day. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Go back to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. Read the Ten Commandments. Who do you think gave those to Moses? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why? Because it's for your, for your good. I need you to set aside a time and rest in Me. And you remember the reasoning behind the Sabbath day and its institution? Do you remember why God did that? It's right there in Exodus 20. It's right there in the Ten Commandments. He says, Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In six days, God made the earth. God made the world. And He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, you see the connection? God is giving us an example. He's, he's working for our good. He wants us to have Sabbath rest because it's healthy. It's beneficial for us. And it's following the example that He set. And so these problems that show up, the Pharisees don't interpret the Bible like Jesus does. They don't recognize His authority as Lord of the Sabbath. And so they contradict God's compassionate purposes for His people. And you know what the worst part of this is? This is why point number one says don't be a Pharisee. You know, you know what the real, um, the real outcome here is? It's not just that the Pharisees messed up the law. It's not just that they don't see the law correctly. They don't know who Jesus is. You want reason number one, don't be a Pharisee? Because if you're so wrapped up in the law and the checklist of do's and don'ts, you can't see clearly who Jesus is. Jesus isn't about the do's and don'ts. Are, are they there for a purpose? Absolutely. Are they beneficial to us? Certainly. But do you know why Jesus even gave us the law? Do you know why we have it? Do you think it's just so you'll do this and don't do that? That's not it. That's not it at all. Why do we have the law? Would you know 
this is I'm pulling from Romans seven. Would you know what it meant to covet something if you didn't have a law that said don't covet? Would you know what it meant to bear false witness or um, commit these other infractions? Would you know consciously those things unless God had showed them to you? See, the whole reason God gave us the law is to demonstrate how much we need Him because we can't get all this right. Here's, here's the point. What kind of life did Jesus lead? Did He sin or not? He didn't, right? Jesus didn't sin. Did He do anything wrong? Did, did Jesus do anything in His earthly life? Did He do anything that was not according to God's Word? Well, guess what? That's what's expected of us. You want to be God's child? You measure up to the standard of Jesus Christ. How's that, how's that working for you? I tell you how it's working for me. Not too good. Terrible, in fact. So why do we have it? Why do we have the law? To show us, man, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I, I told you at the very beginning, every day, everything I do wrong, it's just more of, a, more of a magnifying glass on my life for me to know, man, I need Jesus so bad. I can't, I can't get along without Him. And the sooner we start to recognize how badly we need Jesus, the better off we're going to be. Because we're going to stop trying to make it through this life and measure up to some fictional standard that we set for ourselves or that the world sets for us. And we're going to stop all that nonsense and we're going to run to Jesus. And we're going to fall down on our face and confess our sins and surrender to Him, receive His forgiveness. What did He say in Matthew 11 just last week? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you tired? Come to me. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your soul. It, 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 makes, you, it makes you tired when you keep on trying to measure up to some standard that God didn't set for you. Because God's standard's much higher. It's perfection. That's why you need Jesus. You, you want to read Hosea 6.6. 6. You want to read Matthew 12.7. You want to see that Jesus over and over, not just in those places, but says over and over, I need compassion. I need loyalty. I need mercy. I'm not looking for your sacrifices. I'm not looking for you to be legalistic and check off all your dues and mark out all your don'ts and make sure you keep everything just right because you're not going to do it. You're going to fail, you're going to become discouraged, and you're going to give up. But if you come to Jesus, that won't happen. You'll still make mistakes. You'll still fall short. But then you will rest in the arms of a Savior who has fulfilled all those things for you perfectly. Don't you see? That's the Gospel story. The Gospel is about a Savior the Son of God who left heaven and came to earth, 
because we cannot do it. If we could, why did Jesus go to a cross? If you can work out your life by yourself and you don't need God, then why in the world did Jesus go and die? The only reason He did is because we can't do it. We can't be good enough. We can't make it to heaven. We will not be accepted by God. If you're going to that appointment at the mercy seat of Christ and all you're bringing with you is you and your accomplishments, I have some very, very sad news for you. I don't have anything to take with me except the blood of Jesus. And that is more than enough. The Gospel tells us, come to Jesus. Lay down your burden. He's already carried your burden for you when He went to the cross. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn away from this life and, and cling to Jesus. That, that's all that's required. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be good enough. Once Jesus grabs a hold of you, then He's going to change who you are, and then you're going to want to do good. You're going to want to be right. And, and you're going to still stumble, but you're going to realize, oh, I'm so thankful that my salvation does not rest on my accomplishment. Jesus you know what John 19.30 says? Literally. One word in Greek language. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is accomplished. Paid in full. Jesus, it's like He was screaming from the cross, I did it! You don't have to. By the way, you couldn't anyway. I did it. Come to Jesus. If, if there's anything else uh, that you may be confused by, or you, you maybe this message or this Scripture didn't fully hit home. Just remember this. Jesus has paid your price for you. Just run to Jesus. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.